Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Vol Nation. Welcome to another episode of Believe in Tennessee Football. I'm your host, as always, Kyler Kerbison, with my co-host, Reed Bacon. Uh, today, we got a great one. We're going to break down the drafts, all the Tennessee players that might end up on some NFL teams. Uh, then we have a special guest in Cole Kublik. He's going to tell us his thoughts on the Tennessee offense, uh, what Heupel's doing with the team, how he thinks they'll do this upcoming year, uh, some teams to look out for that we're going to be playing, and also tells us about some SEC East and West teams they're going to be pretty good this year. So very great interview with him. So glad he came on. Uh, and then I've got a big orange juice bringing that back. Uh, that's quite a juicy one uh, about a, a player, you know, that I played with that uh, got into a little stealing. So it's, it's a good story. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, so let's jump into it. The game. Snap. The kick is in the air. And the kick this time is no, sir. Reed. No, sir. Reed. Final score. Tennessee 20, Florida 17. Pandemonium reigns. Looks, loads up, fires long for the end zone. The pass is going to be caught by Tennessee. Tennessee wins! by Tennessee, Jawan Jennings. Jennings makes the catch in the end zone on the Hail Mary. What did he do? All he did was score. Joey touchdown on play number one. All right, so before we jump into the show, you know we gotta start with our presenting sponsor, Bet Online. So I know March Madness is over, but you still got the NBA, you got NHL going on right now. So there's plenty of things to be betting on, and Bet Online is the place to do it. Uh, bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Uh, it has you covered with all the news, the scores, the odds, and it's the best way to place your bets. And it's free to sign up. So head to the website betonline.ag. Or use your mobile device and sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, welcome on everybody. Uh, before we get into the amazing interview with uh, Cole Kublik, me and Reed want to talk about this weekend and the draft and some of the UT players. Uh, you know where they sit, their chances on their new teams, and just kind of dive into that. So, Reed, how you doing, bud? How was your weekend? Good. Good weekend. I've basically been celebrating my birthday weekend, even though my birthday is tomorrow, Monday, May 3rd. <laughs> You're reminding everybody so they send you gifts or something? Your boy is old. I feel so old. I will be the big 3-0 tomorrow, and it stinks. Ooh. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, it's not fun. Not fun. No, I've had a great weekend. I love the draft. I am a massive, massive draft junkie. So Thursday night, Friday night, and even a little bit into Saturday, I watched. Um, yeah, so good weekend. And I'm excited to kind of dive in and 
talk about kind of where some of these UT players went. And I will say this, I'm very bummed, very, very bummed that I miss the, uh, wasn't able to do the Cole, uh, Mr. Kublik interview with you. Um, I had, uh, I basically couldn't get out of bed all last Monday because of my back. So that was fun. So we didn't have much window time to get ready and I wanted to come in here and do it, but it was probably better for you and him just to do it anyways. Yeah. I mean, it's a quick one, 20 minutes, but I got some good stuff out of him. I actually got him on right before he went on SVP. So <laughs> it's like, I got the, I got the cutting edge, even though I'm putting it out a week later, but yeah, exactly. anyways, anyways um, so we'll jump right into it. We'll start with Josh Palmer. Uh, you know, he was the first, Tennessee player taken 77th pick overall. Um, I just feel honestly, like when I look at it, I feel bad for Josh because he probably could have gotten higher if our quarterback play wasn't so terrible last year. I mean, multiple people were saying that as, you know, could have been a higher round, could have been an even higher pick. You know, guy only had 500 yards receiving or less than that last year. So, it just stinks that he wasn't able to get good quarterback play to put him in position. Now, I think the reason he went as high as he did is because scouts saw him at the senior bowl and saw him working dudes at practice. He got a touchdown in the senior bowl. And, you know, that those kind of things really showed up for him. I, I'm guessing you think the same thing. You know what? In a way, I think um... – I mean, I guess, sure, it, 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 it uh, could have helped him if we had a really good quarterback here and he was balling out and uh, had a bunch of statistics and all that stuff. But honestly, I think he about where – I think that's where he was probably going to go. And, and the reason I was – let me, let me say this. I was thinking about it because I was waiting for Catholic, local Knoxvilleian, Amari Rogers to see where he was going to go. Yeah. And I was wanting to see him compared to, to, to uh, Josh Palmer. And so he was there, very productive in Clemson, had Trevor Lawrence put up a bunch of stats, you know, bounced back from a knee injury. And, and Josh still went before him. So I'm like, okay, well, is it because he's just bigger and he has more potential? Or what did they, what are the, you know, the NFL draft is just such a funny thing. And yeah. I just honestly feel like even if Josh had come in and had a really, really good two years with a really productive quarterback, I, I still think he kind of went where he probably should have gone. And I don't know why that why I feel that way. I just feel like they they know what he kind of is. I think it maybe even helped him a little bit that he had such a crappy quarterback because then he goes and he balls out and they're like, well, daggum, look how good he is. Just wish he would have had a good quarterback. You should, yeah. is that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, like, I, I, I guess just, it I just does. I just don't think – let me say this. I just don't think some statistics really matter in college that that much. Like, it's more about how your game's going to translate to the NFL. You can have guys that rush for a kajillion yards, pass for a kajillion yards, but it's more about how you translate. And I think they thought his body type, his work ethic, how he attacks the ball in the air, that was going to translate. So, yeah, maybe could he have gone a little bit higher if he had done more production? Sure, but – I don't think it would have been – I think he would have, you know, maybe snuck in the second round or a little bit earlier third round. Third round is still very good, though. Yeah. I mean, like you just said, maybe him having a bad quarterback didn't show, you know, his full potential. So it's like, right. oh, we don't really know what this guy's ceiling is. 
Um, but with Amari, I don't think he was ever wide receiver one. Like he was two or three like that, you know, had T there, had uh, Ross there. Justin his, his Ross, first, yeah. Justin Ross. No, and, and I was just, yeah, I was just using them as like, they're, they're not comparable because they're two different players. One's outside, yeah. one's inside. Um, and Amari's fabulous at what he does. Um, so it's not a knock against him. I just, I guess that was my point of like, I, sometimes I don't think production level matters as much in a draft because like, I mean, obviously in the NBA, these guys just draft off, off potential. And I feel like that still happens in the NFL some as well. So yeah. I, I think, yeah. I think Josh was probably going to go about that range anyways. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think he'll be happy with the chargers uh, with Justin Herbert there. That's a good, I mean, he's a good up and coming quarterback going into his second year, uh, you know, but he does have some competition. I mean, Mike Williams is there. Uh, Keenan Allen is there. So he's got quite a wide receiver group to go into that's uh you know, is, is he going to make that starting roster or even practice squad or, you know, possibly play on special teams? I, I actually think if I was Josh, I would love to go there. I would love to, to have that weather in San Diego. I think it's a good enough up in yep, L.A. Yep. Yeah. What I say? San Diego. They're in L.A. Yeah, now. I'm, sorry. 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 Yeah. So L.A. I meant just California in general, but to play out there, have that weather. Um but yes, the young core that they have, especially with, with Justin Herbert, um, I think it kind of says something maybe about how they feel about either Keenan Allen getting up in age or how they feel about Mike Williams being maybe just that kind of red zone threat and they think Josh can come in. I mean, you take him in the third round, I, I think they think like he's going to come in and produce that. I think, yeah. yes, I think he went to a very good situation and I'm happy for him. And I, I think he's going to look sleek in those, those, those uh, powder blues or the, those all whites. Yeah, so, I really do like their colors and their uniforms. I think they're sick. They um, are. All right, so let's move to Trey. Probably the biggest snub in the draft. The you know lowest pick for the highest value by the Chiefs uh, taking him. You know, obviously when you look at it, I think the blood clots uh, and you know his past is what hurt him. They teams just didn't necessarily want to take a risk and thought it was a risk. Now, I don't think so. I mean, he's been able to play the past two years with it. Um, he says he has it under control. So I don't I don't necessarily know if that's completely true, but I would think with the production he's had after the situation happened, he – I mean, he should have been second, third round at least. I mean, people were saying this is a six-round pick with first-round talent. Um, but – I mean, that stuff happens. So there was a guy, there was a tackle in the CFL when I went up there for 2017. He was on, he was on Montreal Alouettes. He never, he never got a chance to play in the NFL because he had a heart condition and teams were scared. They wouldn't sign him. So in the CFL, he got there in 2010. In 2010, he was a West Division All-Star. And then 11 through 16, he was a CFL All-Star. So all pro NFL wise. And in 2012, he won offensive lineman of the year in the CFL. I mean, this guy was very, very good. I, I knew that watching him. I was like, holy crap. He was 6'6, 325, looked the part, had the body type, obviously won awards in the CFL for it. And it just goes to show like the NFL, there's so much talent out there. There's like, nah. 
Like we're not going to take the risk of, of you getting hurt or, you know, something happening to your heart or something like that. So it just kind of sucks that he dropped this far, but I'm, I'm glad that at least one team was willing to sign him and, you know, he is going to the chiefs. It's going to be tough for him though, because with the signing of Joseph Tooney from the Patriots, uh, the signing of Kyle long out of retirement, they're bringing back in uh, what's his name? Uh, Laurent. I'm not even going to try and say his last name, but he opted yeah, out tough last man. year because yeah. he was a doctor and just yeah. like did COVID-19 stuff. But he started the whole season when they went to the Super Bowl. So there's three guards he's got to compete with. Um, and, you know, maybe he's got some center talent and he's, he's able to snap the ball. So it makes it to where it, it, he might be able to bump inside. But he's got other guys in there that are two to three year players have experience. Um, but I don't know. I mean, Trey is such a great athlete, such a great player. And now he's got a huge chip on his shoulder. Um, I just, I feel like he's going to be there. He might just be practice squad to start out, but he'll, he'll be there for a while. I remember when you were in the CFL, we were talking about that and you were telling me about that guy. And what's so funny to me is I just don't, I like, obviously I don't get it because I'm not worked in the NFL before, but like they will, the NFL will take a risk on a guy with, off the field issues. And I don't care whether it's with off the field issues with substance abuse, with the law, whatever it is. But then there are some of these health things that they really do stay away from. And I'm like, you can dress. I mean, our favorite team, the Titans took Caleb Farley knee issue, back issue. And they're like, yeah, we'll still take a risk on him because he's such a, a good player. There's nobody that I would have loved to take a risk on more than with with then with Trey but it's like I think it's like when it is a heart condition when it is a blood clot condition or whether it's a something I, I don't know necessarily how to say it but like kind of internally compared to like yeah. a sports injury they yeah. really really stay away from that stuff um I'm happy he went to the Kansas City Chiefs they like you said all the guys you just named plus they traded for Orlando Brown Jr um they are still talking about potentially bringing back uh Mitchell Swartz which I don't see that happening but I, I you see those talks about the rumors but yeah there's gonna be a lot of competition but the thing is all that matters is that he got his opportunity and once he gets in the league that's all he needs like I was a little surprised that Trey didn't go till the sixth round like I'm very surprised by that. And I would have loved for the Titans to have taken him. I like Nate Davis. I like Roger Saffold. And I like Ben Jones for our interior. All three of them, uh, well, Nate Davis is young, but Roger Saffold's a little bit older. Ben, Young's, uh, ben Jones is a little bit uh, older. But, I mean, I just would have liked – when you get to that point in the draft, like half those guys might not even make the team anyways. The draft is such a crapshoot. You know, you draft eight guys, four of them are going to be decent, four of them might not even be on the team. So, like, why would you not give Trey an opportunity – um, yeah. so I mean, so yes, I was still surprised. I thought he would be like fourth or fifth round. As I was talking to my dad last night, I was like, this obviously means these teams are very, very worried about it. And because his upside is so good, like how did all these other teams that even have O-line issues not taken before the chiefs? It just no, doesn't I, make sense. Yeah. But, the chiefs but, aren't but, even like, because of the, the signees they had before the draft, they weren't even necessarily need of interior linemen. And so many other teams were, and they just yeah. didn't take him. 
So it's very baffling to me. It, I mean, I, I, obviously they just, they're scared of that stuff, but ultimately it doesn't matter for Trey. He was going to get an opportunity. He's got an opportunity. And if he goes and balls out, he's going to end up playing. Like I really do. I really do think that if you are good enough, you'll end up playing somewhere in the league. Um, and so even if he goes to camp with them and doesn't, doesn't play or, or whatever for them, he'll get picked up by another team and he'll get his opportunity. So yes. if, you know, he, if he stays healthy, he'll get his opportunity and we'll, and, and he'll probably hopefully do it with all Tennessee fans know he's capable of. And it was funny. Uh, I was sitting there watching all these highlights of him and stuff. And it made me think about the comment I was talking about. I was like, you know, when he was younger, I just felt like he was like decleating and murdering people and, and I felt like this year, not as much. And then they see some of these highlights and some of the highlights were from earlier seasons. Some were from this year. No, nah, buddy was still cleaning clocks. Like, <laughs> yeah. so, so like, everybody, was, everybody was too distracted by JG. They weren't paying attention to the O-line. He was still right. knocking people out. Well, that's just what it shows when we, if you, if you don't go back and watch uh, a game, like you're watching tape, it is hard to see everything. But yeah, man, I just, uh, I just really, I just hope for Trey's sake and pray for Trey's sake that he just stays healthy. Like, which I always pray for all these guys in sports, man. When you, when you've played sports, I don't care if it's my least favorite team. If I'm watching a game and somebody goes down, it like, it bothers me. Like, I don't, I, I hate that crap. Like, injuries are the worst part. I, let me say this real quick. I just got on a soapbox. I didn't mean to, but you know, when you're <laughs> like, you know, when you're like watching, um, and, and someone goes down and they're injured. And it's like, well, who cares? Like, he's worth millions. He's got a great life. Like, he'll be on his back. It's like, people don't understand how athletes are wired. Like, they would give up all those millions to be out there, like, competing for a championship or, you know, let me say some of them are. There are some that are just there collecting a check. But, yeah, I just, I just hope that he stays healthy and he gets his opportunity. Yeah, I so. agree. I think it's almost like the A.J. Johnsons where – I had all the confidence in the world if, you know, AJ dealing with his legal stuff after college, if any of that were to get resolved, he would make the NFL. Like, I I believe that with all of my heart that he would make it. If he got an opportunity to be in camp or be on a team, he was making it because I saw how hard he worked in college. I saw the type of dude he was. I saw how much effort and just unrealistic talent and – conditioning that guy had it blew my mind just yeah. watching him practice watching him work out watching him play so like I always knew it was a thing so I think it's the same with Trey it's just like bro he's so talented there's no way he's not going to flourish right make it right um, yeah I remember it's funny because I, I got annoyed with AJ in, in college because I just thought I personally just like I got an I guess I'm just I'm just all I care about is winning and so it used to bother me we're like six and six and he's out there doing like the light him up and stuff. I'm like, bro, we're losing by 30 stop. Like, what are you doing? But I had buddies that were like, no, if he gets a chance in the league, he will. And he proved me wrong. Like watching him this past year, first game of the year, Titans versus Broncos and Monday night football. He, he was a heck of a player. Vic Fangio has done great with him. And then I remember kind of saying some stuff about him uh, recently. And you're like, read, I've never seen a human as athletic. And, and you were talking about his conditioning, like, he was always up, like always revved up, always. Yeah. So it's, I mean, um, it's it, it's how you had to be, and and you know when we were down by thirty in those games, the only reason he's doing that is to get himself revved up and everybody else around him to keep putting in effort, keep yeah. trying, because it's just like it. Listen, if we're not having fun out here, 
what the heck's the point of being out here? Sure. So, sure. That's, and that's a valid point. I just saw it as a fan's perspective. Yeah. I was younger. I was younger then. I just, I just, I get it. Was it. Lame, but, but I get where you're coming from. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, so we'll jump into next up Bryce Thompson. So wasn't drafted, uh, got signed as a free agent uh, to New Orleans. Um, so it's good for him that he at least was signed as a free agent. It's always very hard to like go into those situations as just a tryout, which is what I had when I came out. Um, but New Orleans is a good place for him. Who knows? Maybe Callaway put in a good word for him because, you know, he was – they played together. But, uh, you know, I, I have no idea if it has anything to do with, you know, Jeremy Pruitt and the defense he was running and what happened with Bryce. But, you know, he exploded on his scene his first year and was doing so well, and it just kind of seemed like he didn't see him as much as he got older. Um you know, and I don't know if that hurt him. I don't know exactly what it was that hurt him so much. I mean, I saw some stuff that, you know, they talked about his tackling, that he was kind of timid when he came up and tackled, but he was a good coverage guy. So, um, you know, I see obviously special teams is what you got to make a name for when you're an undrafted free agent and be able to step in and, and just play everything. Yes to everything is how you have to attack it. But uh, you know, I wish the best for Bryce. I, I think he can be a good player. I like Bryce a lot. <clears throat> um, I don't really know what the DB situation down in uh, New Orleans is right now. All I know is that they lost uh, Jack Ravage and Norris Jenkins because he's now a Tennessee Titan. But I don't know what else is, you know, who who else is left. I know they still have Marcus Williams. They still have uh, Marcus Lattimore. Um Man, I would love for Bryce Thompson to make that team. Love for him to make that team. He would look so sick in the All Blacks, running around, um, you know, making plays down there in the Superdome. Um, that's funny. You said that you heard that he wasn't. He was wasn't. He was better in coverage. And he was a good tackler. I thought he was a very willing tackler. Come up, make some nice physical plays, and I thought it was more of his coverage that whether he'd get a PI or or whatever. Once again, we're both talking out of just memory and trying to remember watching him on TV compared to like actually breaking down his film. But I've always liked him. I always liked how he approached the game. So I hope nothing for the best for him. And it's a good organization he went to. So I hope he can catch on. Yeah. So it does look like they, the Saints actually picked a corner, Paulson uh, Adebo, I guess, uh, in the third round. So that does that kind of hurt DB Bryce. They, is that the only DB they took, though? That's the only DB they took. That's um, good, then. That's good, then. But For if him. they didn't take a DB at all, it would probably have been better. I'm just saying. Well, it, well obviously, but still. Yeah. I mean, they could have been like the Titans. Titans took, you know, three. Yeah, so, I mean, the fact that they true. only took one, the fact they only took one's not bad for him. Yeah, because I don't think their defense was ever a big issue for new Orleans. Like they've always been getting into the playoffs and good defensive play Titans yeah. last year were so bad. It was like, Hey, we got it. literally almost the whole draft was defensive players. Like we got to right. get guys in here. Correct. Um, so then uh, on to Brandon Kennedy uh, as of right now, he's not signed with anybody. Uh, looks like he might just be a tryout guy, which is what I was when I came out. But what does suck, and I don't know if people know this, but a week ago the NFL put out that they're going to restrict the amount of tryout guys they have at the rookie minicamps to five. 
only five. Now, <laughs> that's pretty crazy because I remember I went to two different ones. I went to Houston and to New Orleans. So only having five really takes down the numbers. It really diminishes your chance of getting onto a team. And I don't even know how many workouts they're going to be allowed to have with guys because, you know, I had a workout with the Patriots between the two rookie mini camps that I went to. So that workout with the Patriots got me to where I was able to sign with them at training camp when they had an extra spot available. If he can't even get a workout because COVID-19 protocols or whatever it is, and it has to be like online, a zoom meeting or whatever, it, I mean, it's going to be very tough to get your foot in the door. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to say this. I'll look at the opposite way. Very tough to get your foot in the door. But if you are one of those five people, that means they think highly of you and you don't have to deal with a bunch of nonsense and you're going to get more reps, more coaching, more individualized type stuff. So fingers crossed, you know, you get you get in the door because then you're going to have a better opportunity compared to like when you went to rookie minicamp or even when Tyler, our buddy, went to rookie minicamp with the Browns. Like they had tons of people. And the thing back then is they had like, and I don't remember how it was for you with Tyler, like they had their entire draft class plus another, you know, 10, 15, whatever guys. So it was yeah. a bunch of, bunch of people. But I think now if it's only five, I think if you get your foot in the door, it could help. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is that uh, the, there was guys at the rookie mini camps when I was there that had been in the league a, a yeah. year or two, but got a chance to do this rookie mini camp because they hadn't done that one before. And it was a tryout basis. So like you even cut that out. Like maybe there's guys that were, you know, on practice squad or whatever for teams for a year this past year, they're not signed anywhere, but they can do a tryout as a rookie mini camp with another team. They might take them because they have a year experience. So, but you, like you said, if you get your foot in the door, positive vibes only, if you, if you're able to be one of those five, it's a good chance of being like, okay, let's, let's keep them on. Let's think about them for training camp for OTAs and all that kind of stuff. So, that is good. Um, yeah. All right. So with that analysis of the draft, okay, uh, we'll get into the uh, Cole Kublik interview. You know, we're talking about uh, the SEC, both East and West. We're talking about Tennessee, what his thoughts are after the spring game and Heupel's offense and, you know, what he thinks we're going to be like uh, this upcoming season and, uh, you know, who we really got to watch out for uh, next year. So let's jump into that. All right, got to shout out another sponsor. Uh, I speak for everyone, I think, when I say that getting sunglasses is one of the most frustrating things, especially losing them or breaking them. You know, you buy the really nice ones, but lose them in the water, lose them in the lake, and you never get them back. But it's time to make your outdoor experience better with Keenan sunglasses. They are made exclusively exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're made with Japanese optics that make their lenses clearer, lighter, and stronger. And Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. So they're very, very durable. So use the exclusive code KeenanCast15 at Keenan.com to receive 15% off your first pair. That's K-A-E. N O N C A S T 1 5. Keenan Cast 15. Keenan. Clearly better. 
Okay, I welcome on a special guest today. Uh, he is an ESPN and SEC network analyst, uh, also has the three-man front uh, radio show down in Birmingham, and, you know, was a badass at Auburn in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. It is Cole Kublik. How you doing, bud? Hey, man, doing well. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, man, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, obviously, I have a certain feeling towards you being a fellow offensive lineman. I'd love to get your takes on, you know, stuff going around the SEC and, and, and what you're thinking. So I'll start off with this. Don't know if you got a chance to watch the spring game, you know, this past weekend, Tennessee, orange and white game, but do you have any thoughts on, you know, Hypel as a head coach, you know, you probably covered him when he was at Missouri. So you have a little bit of knowledge on him. Um, and, you know, his philosophy is up-tempo offense because, honestly, it, it is something that I think the Tennessee faithful are starving for uh, with yeah. the mundane offense we had last year. I got to watch most of it. Um, I kind of blasted through it yesterday. I tried to watch all of them. Um, I had an FCS game Saturday afternoon, so didn't get to really lock into them during the day Saturday. Um, the first thing that stuck out to me is opportunity. And I think what you're going to see through new, innovative, creative, different passing concepts is that Tennessee's going to have opportunities to take their shots down the field. They're going to have opportunities to create explosive plays. And I don't know if you really have to be Peyton Manning at quarterback to be able to be successful in finding space and creating space and being able to create some of those explosive plays. Uh, I thought Hinden Hooker did some nice things. Um, you know, I'm, I was worried about the offensive line, but – you know, with what I saw at tailback, what I saw with some of the receivers downfield, Bales Jones had a nice game, did some nice things. And then the quarterbacks, you know, I thought Maurer was a guy that, that showed how competitive he was more than anything else. And, you know, maybe better wheels than a lot of people give him credit for. And that scheme, that design, that offense, the X's and O's that he's going to put out there are just – they're going to give Tennessee more opportunities to score. They just yeah. are. That doesn't yeah. change my opinion about uh, their ability to run the football – that does not include tempo. Uh, obviously, both Mays brothers are back. Uh, you might be okay at right tackle as well, but it's just it's going to be a completely retooled offensive line with some serious prowess that's gone, obviously with Trey and Wanye moving on. So yeah. um, Jameer as well. I, I'll, be, I'll be interested to see the defense because I had a lot of concerns before, and while a lot of my questions were answered offensively watching most of that game, I think I might have more questions about the defense now. Uh, I just I, I wonder, linebacker seems like a position that is not one of strength. I don't know how many how many guys that are going to consistently be able to disrupt up front that they're going to have, and and obviously you know not a ton of playmakers on the back end. So I actually my my concerns uh, my worries about the offense have been eased a little bit, but I might have more about defense based on what I saw in that game. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean. It, I, I kind of put it out as, you know, I see Maurer as the front runner right now at quarterback. I don't necessarily see Hooker as the guy coming in, even though he does have the most experience. Um, and offensive line looks like it's going to be our strong point, even though we are replacing guys just offensively. Uh, and like you said, defense, I, you know, I've said it the past few weeks on the podcast, it's just it's not there. It, 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 they're missing dudes on that defense. I mean, lo losing a lot of linebackers this year, Henry Toa Toa just being a leader out there and us losing him was huge. And 
it really does seem like this might be old Miss of last year, where it's just score, 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 up tempo, up tempo, but we're litting up a lot of points too. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, it might be a fun thing to watch in, in you know, in the short term in this, in this year, but it's definitely something we need to turn around. Now, let's go into, you know, the SEC East. Obviously, Tennessee this year, it's, it's not going to be, you know, a seven, eight, nine win season. It's, you know, we're trying to get bowl eligible this year. Is there a team that we really need to watch out for that's, you know, not the Florida, not the Georgia, but one of the middle of the pack teams where it's, hey, this is going to be one of the toughest fights that we're going to get all year? Yeah, South Alabama. Their quarterback is going to be a guy that's competed against Tennessee before in Jake Bentley, former former South Carolina quarterback. And Kane Womack does an excellent job, especially with his defense. Go back and look at what he did against Indiana when he was a D coordinator there. Um, you know, he's a guy that brings some legitimate prowess on that side of the ball. And I think that place is a sleeping giant first and foremost. I mean, you should be able to recruit within – a 50-mile radius. I mean, you take the old Schnellenberger blueprint and draw like a 50-mile circle around your campus, yeah. and there ought to be enough talent there for you to get like the second and third string guys that nobody wants and still be able to put good football teams together. So I, I think that will be – that'll be a dangerous matchup, especially late in the season if Tennessee's beat up and Jake Bentley's finding a way to play well and they're moving the ball. All of a sudden, that could be a game that's problematic, and I'm dead serious when I say that. Um, the good news for Tennessee is you open up with Bowling Green. And if you can't beat Bowling Green, you should probably shut football down. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, that that obviously will be a plus. And I think there's a, there are a lot of questions in the division this year. I mean, Florida's going to take a pretty big step back, but there'll, there'll still be a, a big talent gap. Actually, I mean, I have questions about Kentucky, but I think there's a chance that they could be a pretty good football team. I mean, the offensive line is going to be great. Uh, pretty much everybody back except Drake Jackson. Christopher yeah. Rodriguez is extremely underrated at tailback, probably the most underrated running back, if not most underrated player in the SEC. And Brad White had them playing good defense for years, and they got almost everybody back. So yeah. that's going to be a tough opponent. I'm really interested to see what Eli can do at Missouri because I think Connor Basic's going to be a stud. I think he's got every bit of being a legit SEC quarterback, needs a little bit of help around them. They, they had some balance early. They lose Nick Bolton at linebacker, who was their leader, but – I think they have a chance to surprise some folks. Uh, you know, Georgia, obviously, class of the league. Not, no need to really spend a ton of time on that one. Um, Alabama, crossover opponent. No, not really a lot of need to spend a ton of time on that one either. I mean, those yeah. are what they are. But, you know, Vanderbilt, uh, outside of, you know, Ken Seals at quarterback, I don't really know what else you get excited about there. Cam Johnson could be solid at wide receiver, but, I mean, they, they lost a running back that in Keon Henry Brooks that I really thought could be a good player at this at this level. I mean, showed some flashes of being really good last year. And this latest hit, you know, losing Donovan Kaufman at safety, he was a, a young man that that staff raved about last year. They loved him, loved his attitude, loved his, his, his instincts, his ability to find the football. Didn't play all year, obviously got banged up, but they loved that young man. And now he's going to be gone on that defense. So – I don't really see – I don't see a, a sneak-up issue there. The, the, the problem is that I would say, you know, that you look at is, like, even Florida, you know, JT Daniels at Georgia, obviously, you know, Bryce Young at Alabama, but who cares? Uh, Emory Jones has played a lot at Florida. Ken Seals started last year at Vanderbilt. Basilick started last year at Missouri. 
Kentucky will have a new quarterback, but if it's Bo Allen, he has a little bit of experience. He's played some. So, and then I mentioned Jake Bentley at, at South Alabama. You're going to play a lot of quarterbacks that have played a lot of football. And for, yeah. like you mentioned before, if the defense is, it just doesn't know where to go or where to be or how to play, then that could be a problem because if you have good quarterback play, a lot of people immediately think, well, you can go score a ton of points. But if you have a good quarterback that knows how to manage your game and can score points, knowing how to slow things down, knowing how to take checkdowns, knowing how to move the chains, knowing how to maintain possession, and then put get points, all of a sudden that puts your offense that's going warp speed in a bad spot because, you know, your defense obviously isn't able to hold up their end of the deal. So it's going to be an interesting season, but I mean, I, I had almost no expectations, but actually grew some expectations based on what I saw offensively in Tennessee spring game over the weekend. Yeah, that's I mean, that's good to hear. You know, I I'd heard you on some other interviews before just saying like, hey, Tennessee doesn't have much of a shot. So that was everybody's expectations going into spring practice. We really didn't well, know my, what my this thing with Tennessee has just been. Like. My thing has just been we don't know. Like, yeah. How can we know? And so now at least we have a little bit to see and look at. But, you know, when you take DeAndre Johnson and say he's gone and you take Toe Toe and you say he's gone and you take all the running backs and say they're gone and you take two or three of the better offensive linemen and say they're gone. I, at some point, I got to sit back there and say, all right, I just I, I don't even know what you are. Like, I have no idea like what this team is. Yeah. And then you bring in a new staff with new schemes. And there's always some issues with the turnover there. So, I mean, I think I think Josh is a guy that that knows how to run an offense and manage an offense, and he's got some head coaching experience. We all know it's different in this league, but you know, it all comes down to managing people. Now, that's the that's the managing your roster and managing people, in my opinion, are the two most important aspects of being a college football coach. Yes. More so than scheme, X's and O's, recruiting, any of it. You got to know how to manage the people around you and to manage the guys that you have on your roster right now. If you can't do that, you're going to get so lost. It doesn't matter how good you are at everything else. So yeah, I think if Josh that's exactly that well. He's going to be okay. I think that's exactly what happened to us last year. I think there was a management issue with Jeremy Pruitt, especially at the quarterback position, just leaving Garantano in there and giving him so many starts and reps and, a lot of, you know, Tennessee faithful were pretty upset with that. And it was one of the reasons why they wanted him out. It was just the mismanage of the Maybe, but position. I mean, I, I will honestly say, if you just, if you watched it, and, and I understand that throwing the ball to the other team is a big problem. I get it. But if you watch them all, there was literally no question at who gave you the best opportunity to create things and, and push the ball down the field and drive the ball into places that, Nobody else could. And he was that guy. Now, it's unfortunate that he also seemed to find the wrong color jersey a lot of the time. Yeah. But like you said, maybe that goes down to managing your people. So um, that was just a very weird conundrum because I had Tennessee a couple times last year. And it's like I'm watching the film and I'm thinking he ain't the guy. He ain't the guy. He ain't the guy because they can't they physically could not do what Jarrett could do. Yeah. And if the run game would have stayed where it was early and where we thought it was going to be, then I think you could have gotten away with another guy. But when that started to disappear, one of the other guys was not going to be your answer at that point. And so it was just, it's a tough, it was a tough spot to be in because he literally was the guy with the most physical upside and the most physical tools when it came to play in that position. It's just, he threw the ball to the other team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that. That is what hurts. Now you mentioned a little bit earlier. You know, Bama on the other side. Obviously, we play them every year, and they're great as they always are. I was wondering, is there any team in the West that you really see as 
someone who could possibly knock them off. I know you've said before that this might be a really sloppy year, uh, just football playing wise, but the teams in the West, you know, uh, Texas A&M coming off such a hot end to the year last year and really fighting for that playoff spot. You got Arkansas and Sam Pittman. I actually got coached by Sam Pittman at Tennessee. He was my offensive line coach. And I think he's perfect for a head coaching job, his demeanor and what he brings. Do you think there's a West team that can compete or just maybe throw Alabama off a little bit? Be competitive, yes. Uh, I'm not sure that I really believe that there's a team that can win the West, not named Alabama. But I, I do think that LSU is going to be competitive. I think LSU is going to have a good team. Uh, I think that comes down more to, to players than anything else. And, I mean, let's start on defense. Maybe, and it's funny how a lot of people just forget talking about this, maybe the best player in college football returning in Derek Stingley. But for some reason, people just want to say LSU doesn't have anybody. Yeah. Cordell Flott played a lot at corner for them. Eli Ricks played a lot in the secondary for them last year. Um, linebacker, not as strong as it has been. But I think there are a couple of guys waiting that have seen how it's done that are going to be okay. Uh, Ali Gay can get to the quarterback on one side. We've seen Olajari get to the quarterback on the other side. you got a couple of big boy SEC real interior defensive linemen that turn return on that team. And then offensively, I think Max Johnson will win the quarterback spot, but if it's Miles Brennan, you know, he, he got off to a great start last year. It looked like he was going to be the guy. TJ Philly has more starts than both those guys do, but I think one of those two wins it. And then Keyshawn Boutte has more receiving yards in an SEC game than any other receiver to ever play in this league. So I think he, and he had like 14 for 182 in the first quarter or first half of the spring game. So he's going to be big time. I think Dre Jenkins can be solid. Most of the offensive line is back. Your center's back. You got Ed Ingram at guard, and if Kenyon Green at A&M stays at tackle, he may be the best guard in the SEC, has a chance to be. You know, um, I mean, your right tackle, Austin Deculus, feels like he's been there for 11 years. Yeah. He's back playing again. So and you got two tackles at on the left side that both played last year that are going to be back. They'll battle it out. So the offensive line should be pretty good. Quarterback should be fine, if not really good. You have receivers, and – you know, I think you got a young tight end that's sort of ready to bust out also. Um, you know, people just kind of figured that, you know, when you lost your tight end at the transfer portal that – and he was a special player, I get it, but that nobody else was there. But I think they got a young kid that's going to be fine to take over. So, I just look at the guys. I just look at the dudes that LSU has, and they should be a pretty good football team. I think A&M is still going to be dangerous. Um, you know, I don't know if it's Calzada or King at quarterback. They're different. They do different things well. I think Jimbo could win with either one of them. You got Spiller as one of the best backs in the league. I just mentioned Kenyon Green, the best returning offensive lineman in the league. Mm -hmm. Layden Robinson was spectacular when he filled in for an injury against South Carolina. Uh, Jaden Watermeyer and Baylor Cup should both be back at tight end. They were both banged up in the spring. Cup some of the spring, Watermeyer all of it. My big question there outside of quarterback is receiver. Caleb Chapman was hurt in the spring. DeMond Demas is supposed to be that guy, but we hadn't seen it yet. They've just had a lot of early entries and opt-outs the last few years, yeah. and we haven't seen a lot of the guys that they have, you know, proven on the field yet. So if they get that part of what they need offensively, I think they could be really good. And then defensively, they, I mean, you pretty much lose like two of your top 22. Bobby Brown was was physically gifted, but there are other defensive linemen that, that made plays. Yeah. So I think they got plenty back up front. Obviously – 
you, you got a coach that has done a really nice job with that defense. Probably not get enough credit for the job that he's done. So, I mean, I think A&M is going to be in the mix. Now, I'm not as confident as I was going into last year, mainly because of quarterback experience, but they've got the blueprint, the foundation set to be a pretty good football team again. Yeah, it feels like Jimbo, you know, with his experience and all he's done with creating, you know, quarterbacks like he has, that it's going to be okay. He's going to find that guy and be able to turn that around. And like you said, struggling at the wide receiver position, it almost feels like Weidemeyer's can take over a game. Not even You're not even needing wide receivers. He was so good last year, especially down in the red zone. Um, and they used him in so many different ways. He's such a weapon uh, for that offense. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely think the West is going to be a lot more competitive than the East, which has been a theme over the past few years. But uh, like you said earlier, I still think it's going to be a Georgia-Bama SEC championship. It just – feels like it's always that until somebody you know a Florida steps up or an LSU maybe makes Bama lose more than a game than they thought they would so um we'll see if that happens I I know you got to go I know I just wanted to grab you really quick but one more question I wanted to ask just a fun one does it hurt a little bit being an Auburn graduate giving the Joe Moore award to a Bama offensive line you know, I know there's always that rivalry. I was always, I was wondering, you know, you being an offensive lineman yourself, is it like, ah, man, I wish Auburn would win this. I wouldn't have to give it to the tide. Uh, it doesn't hurt because, I mean, I, I want to give, I, I care about that award. And, you know, I feel like I've, I've, I've been there with Aaron since its inception. And I mean, it was his idea, his baby, he created it. He brought me on board soon after that. And I mean, I, I care more about, the integrity of that award than I do say Auburn winning the award. Would I love it? Yeah. It'd be really cool. Um, But I also have a lot of respect for what coach flood and what Landon Dickerson and Alex Leatherwood and even Chris Owens and cornbread did on that offensive line last year. I mean that they were just, they were exceptional. They were fun to watch. They deserved it. So regardless of my, you know, my personal opinions about, um, a team or a rivalry, you know, I want that award to do the right thing. And I feel like the people who voted on it absolutely got it right. I mean, it was one of the more lopsided votes that we've had. You know, <laughs> I mean, giving it to them twice. So it's not like that was a new thing, Yeah. but yeah, you, you know, it's, you, you'd, you'd rather be saying, Hey, the school that I played for is the dominant offensive line school in the, in the country. But, you know, right now, Alabama's in a, uh, a very small category of teams that, that fall under that umbrella. Yes, I completely agree. They definitely deserved it. And like you said, they've won it a few times. And it almost seems like it's going back and forth between them and Notre Dame. And you can really see who, like, the O-line universities are out there. Um, but thank you, Cole. I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you talking SEC with me, you know, giving your opinion on Tennessee, where we're at. Um, you know, I, I know people will love to hear from you and, you know, would love to have you on, you know, maybe again during the season, break down some of the stuff you're seeing offensively or anything like that. Um, but wish you all the luck, love watching you, you know, eat some more food at those Outback Bowls. That was <laughs> so entertaining <laughs> watching that. Um, but, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We will, uh, we'll absolutely do it again soon. So yeah. thank you very much. Perfect. Thanks, man. Okay, so hopefully you guys enjoyed that uh, Cole Kublik interview, uh, some of the insights he was able to give. Uh, now we'll, you know, get back into 
by popular demand, the big orange juice, uh, you know, telling some juicy stories that we have either about my, you know, playing days in the past or, you know, read stories he's heard. Um, so we're going to stick to one this week because it's quite a doozy uh, that I have for you. Um, so I guess I'll just jump right into it. <laughs> and when I was living in Gibbs, uh, me and my roommate, Alan Carson, were very uh, lazy. And instead of getting out our keys every time we wanted to get to the apartment, we left our window unlocked right next to the door. So we could just slide the window open and open the door from the inside. Now, someone also figured out that we were doing this uh, <laughs> and realized, oh, I can just walk into their apartment when they're not here and take things that I want. Uh, so I had an iPod touch. If everybody remembers those from back in the day, uh, sitting in my desk that was right there next to the door. And apparently someone came in, took my iPod touch. Uh, and you know, I came back after a practice one day was looking for it kind of confused. Like, did I misplace it? What the heck happened? Because, you know, it didn't look like anybody was in there. It didn't look like anything was taken. Uh, anything was moved around at all, which is, uh, you know, the, the best sign of a good thief that nothing actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, you know, at that time, you know, find my iPhone, find my iPod, whatever. So did the little find my iPod. Uh, and it was in between the Thornton center and Gibbs is moving towards Gibbs. It's like, oh, so person still has it on them. You know, this isn't like sold in Wisconsin right now. Like it's still on campus. So I, I'm like, how in the heck do I get a hold of this? Turns out it comes into Gibbs and then is sitting in one spot in Gibbs for a very long time on the edge. So my thought is, okay, someone in Gibbs who lives in Gibbs came down and stole this out of my room. And now they're up in their apartment with it. Now Gibbs has five floors. So I go to a couple office of line buddies uh, in Matt Crowder and Antonio Richardson and say, Hey, look, I, I got to go find my iPod and someone here stole it. And I would love to have some backup to confront them. And they were all gung ho about it. OLP. We got each other's backs. No big deal. Let's, let's, let's go find this. Uh, so there's five floors. So we start on the first floor and just check each floor at that specific spot because we know it's in the corner, but we don't know what floor it's on. So we start checking the floors. We get to the fourth floor, knock on the door. A fellow teammate opens the door. Uh, and I don't necessarily know if I want to give out the name because I don't want to be a snitch or anything. Uh, but the guy ended up having to leave the team for uh, similar issues, uh, was a very big recruit out of Tennessee. So let's say that. Well, in, well hold on. My hold class. On, well, you go ahead and finish the story, and then I'll just go ahead and kind of spill the beans. Okay. So uh, knock on the door. He opens the door. What's up? Uh, you know, I'm like, hey, uh, so I, 
seem to have misplaced my iPod. You know, I did the find my iPhone. It says it's, you know, right around this area in Gibbs. Would, you know, would you know anything about that? He's looks around, you know, sees all three of it. No, no, I, I don't know. No, I don't know anything about that. Really? But you haven't, you know, seen anything, heard anything? No, no, uh, no. Very guilty. Very, very guilty. I was like, all right, well, you know, maybe it's someone on the other floors, you know, we're going to keep checking. Uh, but, you know, if you hear anything, let us know, you know, because I, I just want it back. Like, no big deal. I just, I just want it back. You go, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I will. I will. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks. And as soon as he closed the door, we looked at each other, you know, me, Mac, and Antonio. Yeah. Yeah. He took it. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> for sure. Uh, the most guilty face you could ever have. Didn't know what to say when we we're confronted him. Like, definitely took it. Uh, and then about a day later, I come back from practice and what's in my desk, but my iPod touch. So uh, looks like we scared him into returning it. But, you know, like you said, I guess I should just say it because turns out about a year later, he gets busted for stealing laptops from the baseball players and gets kicked off the team. <laughs> uh, so looks like it was already written in the sands of, what he was going to do. Uh, and I have no idea why he was into this, what his deal was and why he even was wanting to steal from teammates, man, like it's kind of messed up. Uh, but yeah, that's just like some of the stuff that happens on a team that you might have to deal with. And, you know, I had no intention of fighting him or anything like that, but just in case if something happened, wanted to bring my backup. Well, a couple things here. Uh, yeah, I love the story. Um, okay, a couple things. You never told me this either when you told me that when I've heard this story before. When you knocked on any of the other doors, did people just not answer? Or was he like one of the only ones to answer? Because I, you've never told me how the other people acted or like who you confronted. Um, yeah, I think, <laughs> honestly, I think we went to his room first. Like we knew that he lived in that room. We went to his room first and okay. was like, I bet it's him. Okay. So you, you really did like seek him out first. Yeah. Cause I think someone said that he lives like on that, like he lives in that corner uh, okay. on the fourth floor. And I was like, okay, because no one else, like, I, I just don't see other guys like understanding that because like Cam had, you know, hung out with us before. Yeah. And, you know, I just said his name, but it was Cameron clear. Yeah. Um, but he had hung out with us before, you know, in other Gibbs apartments or in ours and stuff like that. So it just seemed well, like first, it had to be an inside job. First off, when you say we were really lazy and we just, did you just leave the window up the whole time? Or no, would you we would, slide the we window would, up? So it slid back and forth. So we would oh, slide it closed, yeah. slide it open, open the door, slide it closed. I feel so, like pulling your keys out is just as easy as that, honestly, because I'm very lazy about stuff like that. I'm very efficient. But I feel like instead of sliding, reaching around, and opening it, just pull your keys out or just leave the thing unlocked. <laughs> yeah, like well, just don't, hey, just don't be a stupid 18-year-old. How about that? Like Who? You? Us. You guys, yeah, like just yeah, don't be I idiots. Just, I, would, <laughs> I mean, I would just leave it unlocked. Like, 
I had plenty of, dude, there's plenty of apartments I've lived in in my times. And like, yeah, there were some of them we locked, we double locked. And then there was other times <laughs> we never, and then there's other times we never locked them. Cause it was like, you know, we just necessarily weren't worried, but that, I mean, it really stinks about him because he was a big, big time recruit. And what I mean yeah. by big time recruit, I mean, lots of potential. So yes. like four-star kid, six, five, six, six, whatever he was, 250 something plus pounds looked great. He ended up getting another opportunity at Texas A&M, but the whole stealing stuff, man, from a teammate, like I just can't, it's just tough. It's, it's just really, really tough. And it's really tough for these coaches who want to build that family atmosphere but there's a lot of people that come from a lot of different backgrounds and all they know is like, you know, you got to look out for themselves or something. But I remember being in Memphis and we took a kid because of his talent. He was not very big at all. He was probably 5'11", 6 foot, 175 pounds, just a little jitterbug. He, he played at Mississippi State, obviously gets kicked out of there for stealing, comes to, comes to Memphis, good little athlete, good player, would have really done well there. He, I, I honestly don't think he made it through the season and he got kicked off for stealing. So it's just like, you know what I mean? It's like, what are you doing, bro? Like you got an opportunity. This, I mean, Cam had an opportunity from you guys. You could have easily said like, you could have made it a much bigger deal than it really was. Oh, uh, or, yeah. I mean, excuse me, you could have made it a much bigger deal. He stole from you, but you handled it well. And then obviously he didn't learn his lesson. So whatever. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't want, I didn't want him to get in trouble. Like that was not right. what I wanted out of that. Like all I, all I really wanted was my iPod touchback. What? Well, well, which side. I love that's how, yeah. Cause I love that's how you handled it. I mean, I probably would have been like, you know, furious or whatever. What, what obviously I'm not, what am I going to do to Cam Claire? Like, you know, like punch him, <laughs> punch him in his, you know. Yeah, section. exactly. That's why, that's why I needed that, that backup. I mean, I'm big, yeah. but you know, he, yeah. he was all of like six six two eighty. Yeah, with a six pack. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not kidding. That's literally what he, he was six. I know, I know. Had a six pack. It was crazy. Um, but anyways, I'm not gonna tell. I'm not gonna tell Big Orange Juice this week. I, I, I will say, I just want to wrap up a couple things. First off, we've had some people reach out to us on the phone line and on on uh, or Twitter. Thank you for for all the DMs and for the nice compliments and for reaching out. And we've, I've had uh, a couple of people reach out with good questions. We will get to those. A lot of them are out recruiting in state. I love the question about asking us to break down the schedule next year. Cause that's something I do want to do. And I'm very mm -hmm. excited to do that. So we're going to be doing that with the upcoming podcast. Still going to have some, um, some different guests here and there. Um, so uh, that's, yeah, that's pretty much what I want to say is just thank you for reaching out. Thank you for the nice words. We will answer all your guys' questions. A couple, a uh, few other shout outs. Um, Taylor Brown, fa uh, former, uh, you know, Catholic um, uh, student and buddy of mine and friend. And he's actually a great person I love to talk sports with because he went to Bowling Green. He worked in the recruiting office at Bowling Green. He worked in the recruiting and uh, football office at Notre Dame. He's been, uh, he's at Western Kentucky now as the director of football ops. So he's been around the game and I love picking his brain about recruits that we have or like we'll mm -hmm. talk about, because that's all he does. I mean, that's literally his, his job. And like, he's done it at a bunch of different colleges, a bunch of different places. And so I do like to pick his brain. I mean, and he's honest. He sometimes he's like, read that kid's a player like you like he's gonna be really good at Tennessee or he's like 
hey, no, he's probably at, at this level or, you know, another level. So Taylor Brown's been listening. I appreciate that. Um, my wonderful, awesome, amazing girlfriend, Ariel. <laughs> I, hey, I can't, I can't get my, I can't get my parents to listen. Oh, and my sister. <laughs> hey, so my parents don't even listen. They just like, don't get it. Don't understand how to do it. But my sister, Ariel, they're the ones of the family that, that, that listen. So I appreciate that. Yeah. But Really appreciate all the kind words that we've gotten, and we will be answering all the questions that people hit us with, uh, you know, through the phone or social media. Yes, thank you again so much for reaching out. Uh, honestly, surprising that you're getting your sister and girlfriend to listen, because uh, the girls in my family are just like goes over their heads. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I don't quite understand what you're talking about when you know you're talking about blocking schemes and how the tight end affects the linebackers, like right over yeah uh so honestly pretty impressive with that <laughs> georgia georgia's just being a good sister and ariel just does it just to like because she knows she like needs to do it to support me and then she's like <laughs> well i just go on there to make sure to check out how you look and make sure you don't sound like an idiot i'm like all right that's fair you know yeah there you go <laughs> yeah. uh yeah but again thank you guys so much for reaching out um and like we said before we had, so that means so much to us we love criticism also uh, and yeah, just let us know what kind of stuff you want to talk about. Um, again, phone number is 865-322-9232. You can text or call on that. Uh, email is believe, B-L-E-A-V, in tennesseefootball at gmail.com. So email us there. Uh, or DM us on, on, on Twitter and or you know respond to some of the tweets and, and we'll definitely answer them uh and you know follow us so i'm kyler kerbison on twitter facebook instagram reed is r bacon 26 on twitter uh so you can follow him there and you know like subscribe rate and subscribe let us know what you think uh and yeah i guess that's it as always go balls Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.